Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Hi, my guest today is Cynthia Gibson, Certified Financial Planner and owner of Wayfinder Wealth. Cynthia's earliest memory of saving money is from her first job at about three years of age. She earned a penny a day watering the poinsettia plants in the front flower bed of her family's desert home in Palm Springs, California. At that time, she distinctly remembers thinking that if she saved 100 pennies, she would be a wealthy person. While the number has certainly changed, the core internal value has remained. It's the small daily habits that she loves to steer in the direction of her clients' best futures. She graduated in 1988 from UC Riverside with a BS in geography. The study of how things got to where they are turned out to be a natural fit for the skills needed in the financial planning field. Now she maps out her clients' financial futures using values-based financial planning and a unique tool called the Financial Roadmap. By 1993, her adventurous spirit landed her in Sitka, Alaska, where she eventually met and married her husband, Keith Gibson. By 1998, she and Keith started saving for retirement, and this was the first time Cindy had been introduced to the world of financial planning and investments. Starting as a Waddell and Reed client, it was an easy choice to begin her career with them. Eventually, her pursuit of higher education led her to become a CFP or Certified Financial Planner in 2009. This is the highest standard of professional designations for comprehensive financial planning. Cindy loves the challenge of learning new things and continuing her education. In her time off, Cindy focuses on raising her daughter, Veronica, hiking, gardening, and pursuing different art projects. And welcome, Cynthia Gibson. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. I met Cynthia earlier this summer, recording at the end of summer 2022, and we had a great discussion. Uh, Cynthia is in Sitka. We have some clients in common. Really great to get to know her and see how she works. And we will cover that at the end, Cynthia. I'd love to hear more about um, dive in. But in our conversation, it came about that you have spent some time learning about Social Security, which is really valuable. Mm -hmm. So I am thrilled to be speaking with you and learning more, both for my own benefit. You will hear that this is a lot of this is going to be new to me. Uh, So I look forward to you guiding us through the conversation and I will do my best um, as well to ask good questions. So. Thank you. And I want to just start by asking how you would explain or define what Social Security even is as we dive in. Sure. Well, I would say it's the it's the system within the um, within our federal government that helps people, uh, I guess, prepare or have a little something for retirement. It was started in 1935 as a way to help women who didn't have uh, their husbands coming home from the war, basically. 
and helping people that were living on their own. Now, back in 1935, probably 98% or more of the households just had the single family, you know, had a single person in the family working. And so a lot of the rules that govern Social Security uh, originally, at least, had to do with uh, a single breadwinner and also primarily the male. Now, a lot of the rules have been modernized and changed over the years. Uh, and to, to just modernize the program, to help secure the program. So they've taken away some benefits that, you know, were kind of available through some loopholes, unintended loopholes due to the fact that we have, you know, now everyone pretty much has a dual family income. And so today, you know, I... I got licensed as a financial advisor in 1998, and we used to do financial plans on this simple, basic software. And we almost all across the board were taught, don't even plan on using Social Security or getting Social Security. And that I've been hearing like since the 80s, actually, as a young person, like it's going to implode and it won't be around anymore. But truth be told, it's a huge part of most people's retirement. And so what we've realized over time is that we're really missing uh, an opportunity to plan with Social Security in mind because there are strategies you can use when filing for Social Security to benefit your longevity, the comprehensive outlook on all of your financial situation. And it's also, you know, you can miss benefits because you just don't know what you don't know. And so I then halfway through my career, started studying it and just decided to get really nerdy and into the weeds. And I took all kinds of courses and all of my CE credits were with social security. I just wanted to know, you know, social security inside and out. I would do seminars and I would invite anybody that wanted me to do a review for them for free to come and do that just so I would learn more. Cause I, I'm a, I learn more by doing. And so I, I would have, you know, I've had hundreds of people that I just looked at their scenario because it's, crazy how there are no two people alike and no two scenarios are alike and how many layers and complications they, that that can add. And through that, I've learned a lot and just fundamentally understanding most of the core methods and the whole, you know, the foundation of why it's built the way it is and to fully understand, you know, kind of the complexities of it because it's confusing because it's, the rules change throughout our life based on our age and our date of birth. All of the rules are different for you based on how old you are and when you were born. And so that's why, number one, no people are alive. And then it's also based on your marital status or the history of your marital status, or maybe somebody that's died in your family, a parent or and or a spouse. And whether or not you were married to that spouse when they died. So there's so many, you know, ifs, ands, or buts that layer into that. And then in Alaska and, and in many other states, if you have a job and you're going to get a pension from that job and you did not contribute to Social Security and it was a government job, which is pretty much everyone in the state of Alaska who's worked for the state of Alaska, and then many munis municipalities in Sitka for sure. Juneau is not the case. Juno participates with Social Security. 
Um, but because of that, many of my clients have another layer of complication. It's called the windfall elimination provision and also the government pension offset. These are two loopholes that were not intended that they've fixed with these two other rules. And um, those can be very confusing and frustrating for people because you don't really find out about them until you go to apply for Social Security. And Social Security sends you a check that says, or a letter that says, oh, by the way, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the number that was on your statement all these years that you've sort of been planning for is not really your number. Yeah. And so here's your real number and it's, it's entirely different. And so just kind of preparing people for that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't mind planning as long as I, I don't have surprises, but we can plan for, cause you know, the state of Alaska people still have this other, you know, they call it a windfall. Uh, you have other monies that are coming to you from a government job. So there's all places I want to dive in and and try and piece out. Um, I think using scenarios might be a good way to get there. But first, so there's people only that are working that are paying into Social Security, mm -hmm. right? And so those jobs, you said some jobs pay in and some don't. Do I have that right? Yeah, most Government. jobs pay Social Security. There are a few that don't. Teachers in Alaska do not. And many other states, they do not, but some they do. Pastors do not pay into Social Security and state workers. And also, you know, so if you're a PERS employee, P-E-R-S, Public Employee Retirement System in Alaska, and you have something called SBS or the Supplemental Benefit System is also called or 401A. If you're in a tier one, two, three or four, <laughs> you're not paying into Social Security with the state. Now, many municipalities have opted into this state program as well, but some have not. So in Sitka, if you work for the municipality of Sitka, so the city and borough of Sitka, then you're not participating in Social Security. But in Juneau, you're still getting PERS, but you're paying into Social Security. <laughs> and so <laughs> then it's like, okay, well, then <laughs> you're going to get your full Social Security check. Okay. But maybe yeah. you've worked for both. Both could be happening. Maybe both are happening at the same time. I have some teachers that fish in the summer. So when on their fishing income, they're paying into Social Security. So. Okay. And what are the categories of individuals who can be, can receive Social Security? Okay. Well, most of the people I'm talking with and helping and most of the benefits that we're looking at are retirement benefits. Now, if you're not of retirement age, which the earliest is normally 62, that's your earliest is your retirement age, that you can get Social Security benefits, retirement benefits. You can get a survivor retirement benefit at 60 if you're, if you're one, if you're if you were married to someone when they died and you're not currently remarried. Okay. So like I'm, so if I'm married to someone who was paying into social security mm -hmm. and I was not, and then they die, I'm potentially eligible to, eligible to receive their benefit at age 60. Correct. That, that would right? be a okay. retirement benefit. Okay. Survivor. 
Retirement survivor. Retirement survivor. Okay. You also could just have a survivor benefit if you have minor children. So those minor children get a, a benefit up until they're 18 or when they graduate from high school, whichever is later. And then if you're their um, surviving parent that's caring for them, you also get a survivor benefit until that child is 16. And say you have say eight children. See, there is a maximum household um, income. So it could be that you have eight children that are all minors under 18 and that spouse dies and the surviving spouse is going to receive like, say for instance, the household maximum is 4,500, but the per person is a thousand dollars. Well, with eight children plus the surviving spouse, you would get like 9,000. Well, no, you're not going to get the 9,000. You're going to get the 4,500 until those children start aging out. Now, if when we're talking about children survivor benefit being minors, mm -hmm. but you said earlier that the surviving spouse has to reach 60, but is yeah, it possible if there's young children, they would receive a benefit? That's right. Okay. Young. If there are minor children, that's what I just call a survivor benefit, not a survivor retirement benefit. Because you have survivor benefits that are different from survivor retirement. So survivor is just for the survivors when there's minor children. And occasionally, you know, it doesn't have to be a minor, it could be a dependent child if the child has a disability. I believe there's even a provision. This this never happened. I've never had to do it personally, but I've read uh, something about if you're caring for your, if you're the guardian or, you know, the sole caregiver of a parent there, you know, and it's kind of like you're their parent now. And then the spouse dies, I believe. Those are like really into the weeds things. Okay. We don't really need to go into those weeds. But so far we have the retired individual 62 plus survivor benefits, any other eligible categories for social well, disability. So if you are not working and cannot work because of a disability, you can't apply for a disability because you, if you have a job and you're just not working as much or you're not working in your field, that doesn't matter. You, you cannot be working if you have a disability. So and the disability is tricky because you have to have worked for, now I'd have to look it up because I don't deal with this very often, but I think it's a certain number of quarters in the last 10 years, or you have to have worked a little bit in the last 10 years and paid into social security. So for people in the PERS and the TERS system, the teachers and the public employee retirement system, they're not putting into social security. So while they might get disability through their jobs, they're not going to get Social Security disability because they haven't been putting in, you know, recently. Maybe they did a long time ago, but um, but not recently. Okay, let's go back to retirement, which you're more familiar with, and just very keeping it as basic as we can get. Uh -huh. For someone, you said that they can start receiving a benefit at 62, but then you also mentioned windows. Do you have an example of, let's just talk about now of someone that's just worked paying into Social Security. 
their whole lives or enough to yeah they Mm -hmm. haven't dealt with the other type of employer right so let me um preface it with some kind of some rules it's kind of like monopoly right when you pass go everyone collects 200 that's an easy rule if you land on the jail you go to jail those are easy to remember so here's the social security rules the the rules change from your full retirement age your full retirement age is the magic age where once you hit that almost anything is possible for you so that full retirement age is based on your year of birth so if you're born anywhere between 1954 and 1960 it's going to be 66 66 and 2 months 66 and 4 months they step it up so whatever your full retirement age you figure that out for yourself And you know that the rules before you turn your full retirement age are going to be different than that that year that you turn your full retirement age. And then they're going to change again after that birth month. So say you turn full retirement age June of 2022. Well, now you're free and clear. You Almost anything goes. So before that full retirement age year, So 62 is the earliest you can get it all the way up until your full retirement age. You're restricted on how much money you can earn because you're not really retired in Social Security's mind. They have assigned you a full retirement age. (laughs) They tell you what that is right on your statement. So if you're going to retire early in their mind, then you're going to be actually retired and not working full time and making a bunch of money. So Social Security says, well, you can work a little bit, but in general, if you're making more than $20,000, and I'm just using a, a kind of a generic number, it's not exactly 20, it's like 19, 850 or something like that. But it this these numbers index every year, so you have to always check and see. But if you're going to make more than that, for every dollar you make over that, then we're going to reduce your Social Security check by 50 cents. So, you know, you get to a point where they're going to just reduce that check and you don't, you know, if you're making $75,000 a year, you're not going to get a social security check at 62. That's one thing you can't work as much as maybe you, you need to or want to. And then number two, they're going to reduce your benefit by a half a percent per month that you take it early from that quote unquote full retirement age. So whatever that is for you, for most people, you know, it's anywhere from 66 to 67. And if you're born after 1960, it's 67 for everybody after that. Um, and then once you hit your full retirement age, then you get that full amount that's stated on your statement. And if you want to delay, you can delay and you're going to get more out of that benefit. It's 8% per year, also a monthly average. So they take divide it by 12. And then that formula is a month, a month percentage. So let me stop you just because I think I didn't under, I knew there was some range, but maybe didn't understand. So if you take, if someone does start taking early at 62, Mm -hmm. rather than waiting till let's say 67, is that going to harm them later on? Or it's just that you can't work? Well, okay, say let's just say your benefit at your full retirement age, 67, is supposed to be a thousand dollars. 
So if you took it early at 62, that's five years early and a half a percent per year times five years is 30%. Okay. So you're only going to get that's 70, you're going to get a 30% reduction, which is on a thousand dollars is going to be $300. So you're only going to get $700 a month. For the rest of your life. You will never get that thousand. Yeah. Okay. Right. It'll never go up. And and when I say never, it doesn't necessarily mean, mean never. <laughs> There's always these weird exceptions to the rule. I think if you stop it within 12 months, you can stop your benefit and then it will start kicking up again. I think you could you can suspend it. Uh, when you turn your full retirement age, you can suspend your benefit and then it'll start growing again. But very, very rare does that happen. But at any rate, so um, so you can take it early at 62. You're going to take a reduced benefit, but you'll take it longer, right? So you'll get the $700 times five years times 12 months. So that's a chunk of change, which, you know, if you're not alive, no one's going to get your benefit unless you have a spouse that you know, is going to maybe get a survivor. So, um, but you can only get that early benefit at a reduced amount if you're if you're not working that much. Okay. And general rule of thumb is uh, if you if you can't work and just because you're for a variety of reasons, but you're not disabled um, and you need the cash flow, then generally people are taking it earlier. They're not working. Sure. sure. Yeah. Even though okay. most of the literature is going to encourage you, especially from Social Security, to delay till age 70. Okay. So I explain how that, that what happens once you hit the 67 and then you said it can go up after that. Yeah. How does that? So then at 67, um, and you can work and make a million dollars. They don't care. They're going to give you your full benefit. No problem. You can keep working. And yes, some of your earnings are going to maybe increase your social security check because on, on your regular job, you're still paying into social security. So that might increase your formula a little bit, but it's not going to be substantial. I doubt you'll mo- notice it much because, well, we'll get into that. That's another can of worms. But at any rate, <laughs> they'll just recalculate your, you know, what your benefits are going to be every year. But it's not going to change substantially unless you have very low earnings, very, very low earnings uh, prior to receiving Social Security. But at any rate, yeah, then uh, if if you take it at 67, you're taking that full amount. And the only increases anybody gets once they start taking it is the um, inflation increase. If you don't take it at 67 and you wait at any time between 67 and 70, you can take, uh, you'll get an increase of 8% per year. That's a big increase. Yeah. So over three years, you know, that's a 24% increase. So that, you know, you could go from $1,000 a month up to $1,240, right? And for most people, they're much higher. It's going to be five, six, $700 more sometimes $1,000 per month. Wait, that's mind boggling to me. What do you know when that happened and what the (laughs) political drive was to get people to extend that three years? 
Well, I think it's probably some actuarial tables just showing that um, it's probably beneficial for the plan that the plan actually gets. Because if you wait till 70, you're giving up all those years of not taking it. Right. So that could be say that's say you're giving up twenty five hundred dollars a month. That's thirty thousand a year for three years. That's ninety thousand dollars that you're giving up. So to break even, you've got to at least make it to 80. And there are many people that don't live that long. So I think, right. Right. Okay. I think it's just a numbers game and be very careful about doing that. If your surviving spouse is getting a PERS or a TERS pension income, because they're not going to get your full retirement benefit from social security. Mm -hmm because they've got a, this thing called the government pension offset. So, I, yeah, you know, it's like, I rather get the 90,000 in my pocket, take a reduced benefit. And then that 90,000, I have, I would do something with that, but that's me. You know, I, I'm not saying anybody should do that. It's just another way to kind of think about it. What are you giving up? Are you having to pull money out of retirement? For those three years that you're delaying that social security, do you have other types of guaranteed income? Because is this just adding more guaranteed income on top of more guaranteed income? You know, where, where, you know, how much guarantee do you have rental income properties? You know, do you have other pensions or other business income properties uh, or, you know, assets? And so it's now not just easy you should take it this at this date and time. It's this is where it's unique to everybody because everybody has their own journey. Everyone needs a certain level of guarantee or not in their life. And some people, a lot of people can't afford to wait, you just need the cash flow. Sure. And it's not, that's not a bad thing. It's just sort of like, you know, it's safer to get get it longer over more time. There's you know, then waiting because you have to outlive it. And then even after 80, you know, what could you have done with that money in those first three or four years of taking it? Could you have actually invested even a little bit of it? Because by the time you're 80, it's going to be a lot more money. (laughs) (laughs) Then if you make it to 90 on average, if you do the math, it's usually around a hundred thousand more that you can get out of the social security program. But not a lot of people make it to 90. Some people make it longer. Yeah. You know, so it just, again, it kind of comes down to your personal choice. And Well, and it's so a lot of considerations that I imagine. Is that something you help clients with looking at their full picture, yeah. doing? Yeah, we want to know. Math. And if there's a spouse involved, you know, sometimes it's yeah. like, yeah, the spouse is much younger. And they don't have much social security and they don't have a government pension. Okay, well, let's, yeah, let's wait till 70 because now that's guaranteed for their lifetime. Whichever check is bigger, that surviving spouse gets that for their retirement income. Okay. So that's the perfect situation where it might be more compelling to wait till 70. But I would say more often than not, I would say 75, 85% of the time, it's not that compelling to wait that long. Okay. So interesting. So we have the early retirement, full retirement age. We talked about that potentially waiting three years. Um, 
Anything else that is an important consideration for just the basic, the person that worked Social Security their whole lives before we shift to this whole state pension and <laughs> that sort of thing? Just, you know, if uh, I think the biggest thing is just to don't do what your neighbor says to do or your cousin tells you something, because like I said, everyone's situation is so different. My sister-in-law just died and she, uh, her husband, who's only 57, talked to Social Security and they told him, no, you're not getting anything for your survivor benefit. And that's true because they don't have minor children. Um, but he had no idea that when he turned 60, he's eligible to receive a retirement survivor benefit from her earnings. And in that situation, he could take that survivor benefit and defer his own benefit until he's 70. Oh. And so his benefit can grow and grow and grow. And then her, you know, as long as his income is low, which it is. Um, so now he'll at least have something to kind of take the edge off is, is how I call it to provide some income for him at 60. So um, I think it's always important to ask, to just keep going back and asking questions. If you're, don't just take what somebody tells you, not even social security. I, I think, you know, there are people just like we are, and we're all just here trying to help each other do the best we can. And I think it just gets confusing because um, they probably have survivor benefits, people only talking to survivor benefits, people, not retirement survivors. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a big difference between the two. And you you wouldn't know that if you didn't, you know, live in my world. Talk so, to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I've, I've met people who are, who could have been taking the survivor benefit and weren't because they just didn't know. And they get them to start taking it. And they're like, man, this is so great because they were just waiting to take their own benefit. I'm like, well, you're eligible to take a survivor. Um, and, and even if you're divorced, as long as you were married for 10 years or more, if your ex-spouse has passed away, you can still get that survivor and you, you have not re well, you're not currently remarried. You could be remarried and then divorced again, but that first spouse could have died. You can still file off that first spouse's survivor benefit. So uh, if you were, if you're not currently married and you had been married for 10 years, even if it wasn't your most recent spouse. Correct. Correct? Okay. Yeah. And then let me just ask you to recap the difference because it seems really important between the survivor benefit and the survivor retirement. Did I even use the right words? Survivor I mean, retirement. these are just the words I use. I don't even know what Social Security... They've never said, and you know, like be careful. You, the vocabulary is important. They've never said that. They're just like, yeah, these are retirement benefits. I just call them retirement survivor benefits because I know that if you're retiring or you want that retirement benefit, which is what is on the statement, if you look at your social security statement, it'll show you first of off the three ages at which they usually tell you you get your Social Security check, those are your retirement benefits. Age 62, your full retirement age, which is usually 
well, anywhere from 66 to 67. And then um, your age 70 amount, they'll give you those. Although they changed the statements recently, they give them now like from age 62 to 70 every year what that number is. Then if you keep reading, they should also have a line that says what your survivor benefits are for the survivors. Those are your minor children or the parents of your minor, the parent of your minor child um, while the children are minors. But my, so my statement would say what my children's benefit would be. That's what you mean, right? Okay. Yes. Yes. And your spouse's benefit while the children are minors. Well, while until they're 16. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are survivor benefits. And then the, the third line on your statement will say disability. And it'll say, this is what your disability benefit is. And there'll be a number on there. Okay. So I'm not sure if okay. that answers your question. <laughs> I, think, I think that's helpful. Very helpful. Are yeah. the statements something that are sent out every year? They used okay. to send them out and every year. And then, well, actually, they never sent them out. <laughs> and then they started sending them out every year. And then it was very costly. So they send them out every on your five-year anniversary. So like when you're 60 and 65, I think, I'm not sure anymore what their policy is, but it's fairly easy to go to the ssa.gov website, scroll down in the lower left-hand corner, it'll say my social security. And you click on that, you have to make an account. And that's where it can be tricky. Um, it, they've made it easier, but they've also added some different options for logging in with like a government ID. I think it's just easier to try to log in through the create an account, but you do have to tell it like three times. I want to create an account. Yes, I'm creating an account. Uh Uh-huh. I'm, I'm creating an account. (laughs) And then (laughs) you just have a, a user ID and a password. Now, for those of you who've done this, And you're like, oh, but I can't remember. And I'm going to, if you try it, I think three times it'll lock you out. But it's actually fairly easy to just ask it to to, um, tell you what your username is. It'll tell you that pretty easily. You just have to put your social and date of birth and your name in there and your email that they have on file for you. So if you've changed your email address recently, you might use your old one. And then, um, and then it's fairly easy to reset your password. Um, you can also order a password through the mail if you get locked out. And we've done that recently with some a gentleman that couldn't remember his reset questions, which are hard because they ask you like questions that can change, like what's your favorite movie or your favorite book or your favorite color, and people can't remember what they said. <laughs> so anyway. Um, so those are surprisingly problems that we've had getting in. And just to but, recap, that's to once you've already established yeah. your account and then you forget everything. You're trying to get back in. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Because uh, it is it's, it is handy. And then it is really handy if you have this WEP or GPO issue because if you've also worked a lot in the Social Security system, there might be, you know, it's it's helpful to see what your earnings are year by year by year. 
because then it might mean you're you're not as impacted by your government pension as you know some people are yeah so I actually did that yesterday in preparation for this, Cynthia, of creating my account. And, and it was, it was very easy and it okay. took in, I mean, just moments to get the full report, all of my earning history. It was fascinating. And it tells you when you paid into Medicare versus right. uh, social security. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's a report that if I help people, figure out what they, what they're going to, how they're going to file, when they're going to file or what they should do. I I like to see that whole report with all those years, all that history, because it yeah. helps me make sure that I'm not missed anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anything else you want to add about the social security retirement before we bring in that, um, windfall elimination provision? Um, I think the biggest thing is, the other thing is that people forget that the rules change. Remember that once you turn your full retirement age, you can make as much money as you want. And in the calendar year in which you turn your full retirement age, whatever month that is, up until that month, you can make more than double what the other number is. So say it's 20,000 a year is all you can make, but in the calendar year, you turn your full retirement age. So say, for instance, you're going to turn 67 in June of 2023, and that's your full retirement age. That's early, but anyway, you can make up to $44,000 from January through June, June 1, and you won't have a reduced benefit. From Social Security. So, and then once June 1 rolls around, doesn't matter. You can make $100,000 a month. They don't care. And you're going to get okay. that full benefit. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen people not file because they felt they couldn't file because they were earning money. They really needed to file because they needed better cash flow. Um, but, um, are we talking just W-2 income or are we talking about like passive in rental income? That is a terrific question. Thank you for asking. It is just W-2 or 1099 earnings. So like fishermen, um, but IFQs, um, you should ta- check with your tax person usually is a passive, it, depending on your IFQ, can be considered passive. So that that's a really great question. Okay. Because I had a client that was getting survivor benefits. She had an IFQ that she didn't actually, it was like a survivor IFQ. Yeah. Um, and so uh, she, she was able to call that passive and still get her survivor retirement benefit okay. before her full social security age, retirement age. Yeah. And for oh, okay. any listeners that might be unfamiliar in IFQ, what is it? It's some fishing quota. What's the I? She had the type of IFQ that she didn't have to be on the boat for. And so her tax person was able to call that passive income. Sure, sure. So if okay, it's passive that, income, yeah. so pension yeah. income does not count. Rental property income does not count. Um, income from investments do, do not count. 
interest earned on your investment. The permanent fund does not count. It has to be earnings from earned income, like a job, like that you have to actually actively work at. So W-2 or 1099 earnings. Okay. And IFQ is for individual fishing quotas. Thank you. <laughs> All of these people rolling their eyes at us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like, I eat fish. I don't, I don't fish. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about uh, state government employees, employers that when you're working and not paying in, let's yeah. start with what the windfall elimination provision is that you've already mentioned. Right. So we've talked a little bit about um, there's two provisions that govern um, when you have a job from a government pension in which you did not contribute to Social Security. One is called the windfall elimination provision. We we call it WEP for short, W-E-P. And the other one is called the government pension offset or the GPO. Those two things are governing WEP, the the windfall elimination provision governs your earnings yourself as an individual. So we'll take my family, for example. I'm married to Keith Gibson. He worked for the state of Alaska in the Pioneer Home for 15 years. So he's going to have a reduced Social Security benefit when he retires. How I calculate what that is going to be is based on this WEP, the WEP rules. In addition to that, he has, he's eligible because he's married to me, Cindy Gibson, to maybe if I were to die, he's eligible to receive survivor retirement benefits. So he has two benefits available to him in his future, potentially when he's in retire when he's of retirement age. One is benefits on his own earnings and the other is benefits on my earnings. Even while I'm alive, he technically has benefits because we'll get into spousal benefits. Yeah, we, yeah. That's another can of covered that earlier. That's a whole, yep. Okay. That's, yeah. Let's not get into that for right this second because right. it's going to no. muddle the waters. Uh-uh. But at any rate, um, the, the, the rules that govern Keith Gibson's spousal or survivor retirement benefits are, are talked about in the government pension offset. And if you just Google them or go that, the SSA website, you can get a nice little two-page information sheet on them. They're really handy. But with the windfall elimination provision, if you have the most you can be reduced in your social security check by would be about roughly $500. That's the worst you can make it for yourself. So that's... Yeah, let me. So let's say my social security is a thousand and I have a government pension that is twelve fifteen hundred to make it easier uh-huh. per month. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to get five hundred in social security a month. They'll reduce it by five hundred. That's your worst case scenario. But okay. that's as long as your thousand dollars is your full retirement age number. OK, because that that's your magic year. Remember, I said there's a magic number mm-hmm. that's your full retirement age number all the numbers are calculated your your web is calculated or your government pension office is calculated pension offset is calculated from that full retirement age number mm-hmm. and then reduced from there 
So if it's $1,000 at your full retirement age, we're going to take $500 and then reduce it. So what you don't do is go, oh, okay, well, I was supposed to get a thousand, but I'm going to take it early. I'm going to get on, you know, so I'm going to take a 30% reduction. So now I'm only going to get 700 minus my 500. So I'm only going to get $200 when I'm 62. No, really it's 500. Now reduce that by 30%, which would be uh, 350 is going to be your age 62 reduced amount. Okay. And the same goes the other direction, right? So you, you reduce it at your full retirement age, then you increase it if you wait till age 70. Okay. That's just the windfall. Now, that said, <laughs> the windfall can go away. If you have 30 or more years of what they deem substantial earnings years. And the windfall elimination provision information sheet that I mentioned that you can get from the Social Security website has a list of what that is because every year it's indexed for inflation. Let me just grab my cheat sheet. I'm just right here. Okay. (laughs) I guess I could share a screen with you. But you can see there's years... Uh, okay, so she's showing Cynthia has the cheat sheet, and we can link to this in the show notes, right, Cindy? Yeah. Okay. So, for instance, let's just take last year right here. Mm-hmm. That, last year, if you'd make $26,550 and paid into Social Security, then that would be considered a substantial earnings years for you. If you have 30 or more of those years on your social security statement, then it doesn't matter what kind of pension you have from government job in which you did not contribute to social security. They're going to give you your full amount. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I've only seen maybe two or three people have that happen. So, and maybe I'm jumping ahead completely, but I'm going to take it personal. Then I can, I'll learn well (laughs) that way. So I worked about 10 years for the state. And it sounds like Uh I could fit into this exactly because now I'm paying into social security as a private self-employed individual. And so let's say I work another 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. I have the full benefit. And so my question for you, then the windfall provision goes away Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm totally jumping the gun, but does that affect is my, what about my spouse who will have a government pension? Would he have any credit to claim if I die, when I die? Oh, well now, so you're asking then about a survivor benefit for him, Mm -hmm. right? So a survivor benefit is governed by the government pension offset. So you might get your full social security amount but then he has to take whatever his pension is. Let's just say your full social security amount. We'll just use that thousand dollars that we've been using and say he gets say 1500 from his government pension. He has to, the government pension can go to zero. So he has to take two thirds of his pension dollar amount, which is 1500 as before taxes or any of the benefits that he's having, like that he signed up for the, dental vision and audio or the long-term care. It's the gross number. So say it's 1500. 
So two thirds of 1500 is $1,000, right? So he's going to have to subtract his $1,000 from his pension from his survivor benefit of $1,000 and he'll get zero. Okay. From, from your social security retirement survivor benefit. But he might have, you know, his own social security benefits. Did he work? Right. All you have to do is work roughly 10 years in social security. Okay. So let's, and then, but that would be governed by the, then we'd come back to the wind, the WEP, the windfall elimination provision. For him. For him. For him. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the government pension offset then is it, it's just related to the spousal the spousal and the survivor benefit. Yeah. The survivor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then real quickly, we can touch on the spousal benefit because remember I said Social Security was built in 1935 when there was really just one breadwinner for the family. And right. so it was built so that the spouse would get their benefit. Uh, sorry, the, the person working, which we'll just use male because that's what it was. That's what it was back in the day. The husband would get his $1,000, let's say. And then the wife, she would get $500 as soon as she was of eligible age. And he's he's applied. So they would get $1,500. That's how they built it with that in mind. But now when the wife is going to file for Social Security, um, because she has her own earnings, it's usually more than half of her husband's. So she'll just file and get her own instead of taking half of what he, and it's not like he's, she's taking away from him. But the rule still exists that for a spouse that has not been paying in on their own, they can receive half of their spouses at the same time that their spouse is received. Exactly. Yeah. And doesn't change theirs. And you can be divorced as well, as long as you were married for at least 10 years. And are not currently remarried. In fact, you could be divorced twice, you know, married, or the person could have had three ex-wives or three ex-husbands. They could all file off of that one person. Everybody gets that benefit. It's it's your benefit. You're the spouse or the ex-spouse for at least 10 years. So it's actually your benefit. It's just based on their earnings. They would never even know that you're that you're getting it. Because it's not doesn't affect them or change their life in any way. They can be remarried. You just can't be remarried currently. <laughs> okay. This is is fascinating. It is. is I mean, you, it's like a giant puzzle. It really. is. Yeah, and and a hard to figure out puzzle, as many are, with our yeah. own when we don't know what's going to happen in the future. What the market's gonna do? What? Yeah. Is there <laughs> right. anything else you want to touch on with the WEP, the government op- pension offset? Do you think we did a good job of? Yeah. Um, the only other really confusing part is on the WEP page with the little, the numbers that tell you about your substantial earnings years. It has um, a percentage chart on there. And it says, if you have 20 or less years, you get 40%. What that 40% is referring to is the formula. Um, It's just a function. It's a part of the formula that's used to calculate Social Security. 
So it's not that you're getting 40% of your social security check. It's that you're getting 40%, whereas most people get 90% of the first thousand dollars. That's part of their formula. So maybe it's easier if I kind of explain social security figures out how much they're going to give you by looking at all of your earnings over your lifetime and they index them for inflation. So they put them all in today's dollars and then they go and cherry pick the highest 35 years and they take those 35 years and they figure out what your average monthly earnings have been over your lifetime. Then they take that number and they plug it into a three-tiered formula. They say, okay, for the first thousand dollars that you've made over your on average over your lifetime, we're going to give you 90% of that. If you have this government job in which you also have a pension and something like SBS, or if you're a teacher, you don't have SBS, you just have the pension. Um, then instead of giving you 90% of that first thousand, we're only going to give you 40%. So that's why I know, well, usually it's $900 or 40% of the first is, you know, it's a lot. It's more like $500 off. That's why we can just say roughly $500 off. And that's all in today's dollars. All these numbers get indexed for inflation every year they change. But <clears throat> then the monies after that uh, that you earn that are over $1,000 on average, the next little zone, you're going to make 32% of. And then the zone after that, you make 15%. So just like taxes are kind of skewed to charge people, you know, the more money you make, the more in taxes you pay. Social Security, the more money you make, the less you're getting out of, you know, the program in order to compensate you. So if you've on average made like $30,000 a year over your lifetime, you're going to really max that program out. It's going to come like 40% of your income is going to come back to you in your social security retirement check. If you're more like 120 to $140,000, that's what your earnings are. Cause they, I don't know what the max is right now. It's right around 130 something. I think they don't tax you on your earnings after that for social security. Um, but if you've paid into it that high your whole life, you're not getting 40% of that back it maxes out at a certain amount and you're only going to get maybe 20% of that back in terms of retirement income. Okay. So and that's just make sure I get this right. You said after some amounts, probably around 130,000. And if you make more than that, anything over that is not even, you're not even paying into social security with that amount. Correct. Just right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. But that number goes up all the time too. In fact, that's, and that's a healthy thing because, you know, that's, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, social security is not going to be around and I'll say, well, okay, well, in case it is, let's make sure that we've, you know, not ignored it completely because it could be something that could, you know, help us. We'll just plan for it at least plan around it. Um, so in my research in the, on the social security side, and I don't know if they update this regularly. But it, as you pointed out, people have been talking about that for a long time, thinking it's not going to exist. And it said that their trustees are saying that it will be 100% of the benefit as they calculate now. 
until 2034, if I have it right. And then it would be about 780, 780 paid out per thousand. So they're saying that maybe it's going to reduce a bit. Have you seen that? Right. You're yeah. shaking your head. Yeah. 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 Have they been saying that though, since you got uh, into this field or not? Well, not since, no, probably okay. in the last five years or so. Okay. But you know, they just changed some things recently, probably about four or five years ago, where they took away some loopholes, as I mentioned earlier. And they changed it in the, you know, in the 50s too, when they realized, well, people are living longer. When Social Security first started, I think you had to be 65 to receive it. And mortality age was like 63 or 64 or something. And now it's into the 80s, you know, mortality is. And um, and you can take it early as 62. And so I mean, think that's why, too, Social Security is kind of encouraging people to wait because I think it's in their favor. The odds are in their favor. I'm just guessing that's not like official. That's just me sort of anecdotally projecting my personal thoughts. <laughs> but at any rate, um, the it is the single largest federal program we have. It has over $3 trillion in it. Um, the And it's the very first year, I think was last year, where it was paying out more than it was taking in, in its history. So some of the things they can do to help sustain it is uh, change the age for like people born today, make it so they can't, you know, change it from like they did in the fifties from 66 to 67. They graded that out. Uh, they can also change um, how much that limit, that upper limit is like 130, but they could, you know, really ratchet that up some more. So that would be a way to buoy up the program. Um, and then there's just some other things they can do like that to help sustain it. I I don't think, I think everyone is very interested, especially the federal government, in making sure that it's sustainable for a long time because it would create all these a huge domino effect within our economy and within the other social structures of our economy, Medicaid, Medicare, that heavily rely on social security and are intertwined with social security. And so I, I just don't see it, you know, going away completely. And I, I'd be very shocked if they had to reduce the checks, maybe they won't increase the inflation so much. I mean, that's a possibility there's, and and who knows, I, those are just things I've thought of. There's many other people probably working on this all the time that, have five other ways they can help, <laughs> you know, make it better for the program. But it, it was always a program. It almost feels, I don't want to say this because it's not really a Ponzi scheme, but, you know, it's always the monies that are getting paid out are not the monies that we put in, that we receive. We get the monies that um, the current workforce is putting in. That's what's getting paid out. So even though they have a huge balance. So I, I just think that, um, that, yeah, there'll be ways to try and work on this problem. They'll find a solution. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts. (laughs) 
on that and and your the information about everything. As I start to shift to wrapping up, is there anything else you want to share on the social security front before I ask some wrap up questions? Um, just to just so you know, sometimes people are self employed and they are just trying to get credits. So occasionally people don't have quite enough credits because they taught or whatever. So um, to get one credit, credit used to be called quarters. And that was misleading because you you kind of the implication and there's four credits that you can earn in a year. Um, and so you think, well, I have to work the whole year to, to get my four credits for the year. But really, you just have to make one thousand five hundred and ten dollars. So I have a few clients that will check in with me annually because they have a self-employed spouse. They're just trying to get more credits. And you have to just at least make that amount. It ain't for you to make $5 less, you know, on the tax form, especially fishermen. Sometimes uh, they can look like they haven't made hardly anything. So their social security checks can be very low. So I just caution people that are self-employed to not ignore um, their retirement planning. If you're going to be self-employed to, and you're, you're just looking really poor on your tax return to make sure that you're putting some money aside for retirement, because I, I can see where it's, it's been detrimental for some of my fishermen. Um, <clears throat> so that's one thing. And then, um, yeah, just feel free to shoot me an email or even call me. I'm happy to answer a quick question on the phone. It helps me keep fresh and um every case like i said is a little bit different and so i learn something new all the time so i like that yeah yeah <laughs> i want to ask some more about how to reach you but do you have a particular i ask this of every guest piece of advice on a life transition that you would like to share could be related to retirement or something anything very broad gosh I would just take a minute and really focus on what's important to you. You know, these things, all this money and tools, these are just tools. They're just numbers that help us get from point A to point B. But we really should take some time to look out in front of us and try to think about the things that are important. And for most of it's, it's, you know, our community, our families, giving back, you know, having a meaningful relationships, our health. Um, and then to just, you know, set some goals around those things that are important to us and be goal-driven on your decisions. That to me, when your values are clear, then your decisions are easy. And Roy Disney said that, not me. <laughs> but I've always loved that because it does help clarify. We can get really bogged down in, in like, you know, my cousin says, do this. And my neighbor says, do that. And my friend at work checks his account every day. And I hate doing that. And it's like, you, we don't have to do anything like that. We really just have to focus on the things that are important to us. And then try to get somebody that just is good with tools to help you be like, okay, yeah, let's just, you know, you want to do that by this date and this time. And this is what that looks like. Then this is what you're going to have to do to get there. And um, and then just, it's just a number. And sometimes the numbers are scary, but I always am a big fan of being the boss of my numbers. So, um, 
if you're the boss, then it's not going to tell you when to retire or where to live or, you know, to some extent can't go crazy, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, I hate to hear when people are like, I can't live here. It's too expensive. It's like, well, do you want to live here or not? Like if, cause there's ways to save money, but anyway, that's my little segue. No, well, this is a good segue into, <laughs> and I appreciate that thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That piece of advice. And is that something that you, so you're a financial advisor. Do you work with clients on helping to find kind of identify and then figure out what it would cost to play a role in that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's my main gig, if you want to call it, is um, helping people create like a future for themselves visually and tangibly. And then I put the tools together. I'm kind of like your contractor. So if you're going to build a house and you're like, yeah, I want a three bedroom, two bath house with, you know, a single story over here on this piece of property, your contractor is going to get with an architect and you're going to talk about millions of different options. And the contractor brings together all the professionals, whether it's an estate planning attorney like you, the tax person, the insurance questions, all the investment questions, you know, someone like me would handle. And then we're going to just pull it all together so that, you know, you have this beautiful retirement that you've built or whatever it is. Maybe it's actually building a house. Uh, it could be taking certain types of family trips, you know, education for your children or your grandchildren is oftentimes top of the list. But, you know, 90% of it's going to be retirement. It's a huge, it's the single largest expense you'll have in your life is your retirement. and. Um, it's shocking how little time we spend on it, planning for it, and how little resources we have to do that with <laughs> often at our fingertips. It's like talking about money is taboo in a lot of families. And so I'm I'm a big fan of like, let's let's just talk about it. Let's like figure out what the goals are and then just make decisions based on those goals. And then it's very inspiring because then I have more of a a compelling reason to want to save my money instead of just because my broker tells me, you know, it's a good idea because I need more money because, you know, a lot of people are not motivated by money. Um, but they're certainly motivated by time with their children or vacations or, you know, time to do the things they want to do freedom to have, you know, not work, those types of things. Yeah. So yeah, then I just, I pull that all together in a comprehensive, you know, step-by-step financial plan. And then ideally help people implement that. So come up with all the investments, any insurance recommendations, get, okay, we need an estate planning attorney. Let's get, let's get your wills done, or we need to get a trust set up or whatever the case is. Um, And just make sure that, you know, things are, ready now for you. And then if something happens to you, is everything streamlined so that everything's taken care of? And, um, and then just go through all the life changes with people. That's what's been so interesting being in the industry for 27 years is 25 years, 26 years, something like that is just, um, just being with people from the start to the end. Now it's been really fun to see them retiring and 
you know, get their grandkids and transitioning with them through all those changes. So are you accepting new clients? Yeah, I do. Um, I have, we have a little growing pains, you know, like anybody we're still, we're looking, we're looking for a great office person. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Hopefully, but we're even open to Juno. So Juno, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if this seems like something you'd like to do, we need we need some help, some serious help. <laughs> Just to help us get all the paperwork done. There's a lot of paperwork and a lot of follow-up and a lot of details. Um, but it's I think it's very rewarding because we get to help everybody so much achieve their goals. The best part is helping people do things they never imagined they could do. And, um, and helping them understand how it's possible and helping them with even just the discipline and the steps, um, to take toward those ends. And how can people find you? They can go to, um, 907-966-2803. My email is Cynthia, so C-Y-N-T-H-I-A, at wayfinderwealth.com. And we are trying to get a, (laughs) because I don't have much office help and we just have to focus on our clients at the moment. We've been trying for over a year to get our website up and running, but, you know, we have compliance. We just switched brokers, so that took some time, energy. And then we also... um, have a lot of compliance hurdles to get through with a website. And because of that, we don't have our website still up. We just got our letterhead though. I feel good about that after a year. (laughs) Why does it take so long? But at any rate, at least, you know, the most important thing are just helping our clients and, and then the office things will come. Just be patient with us, but. And you're reachable. If anyone's listening, then they have more information than, well, not anyway. Yeah, my phone number is a great way to to reach us or my email is a terrific way. Okay. And eventually when the website is up, if someone were listening to this later with the the business is wayfinderwealth. Okay. Yep. Perfect. That's what it is. You search that Sitka, I'm sure. Yep. Yep. And if you want to do like, I am a CFP, that's a certified financial planner. You can do a brokerage check on me, a broker check. Just put in there FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, and they'll just put in my name and my zip code, 99834, and you can broker check me and see where we, where I've been and what I've done in my career, which has just been in Sitka with one other broker that sold to LPL recently. <laughs> okay. So so you're the broker you were with sold. Yeah. That's sold why it. you had to make the switch. Yeah. But it's all good. It's it's just uh, <laughs> some time. <laughs> it just, you know, and it's another thing. Yeah. But it's all good. Great. Okay. And we will link to resources that we've discussed, social security website uh-huh. and the resources you provided. And if you think of others, I will uh, talk with you after and link to anything else that might be helpful. Sure. And you said that you were up for talking with people about their social security decisions as well as as potential new clients. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to actually 
put together, I wouldn't call it a book, but I call it like a game board for social security. I did I mention to this to, to you before? Yeah. yeah. When we yeah. But not anyway. to everyone else. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping I'm kind of it it's helping me distill down, okay, how do I like make it into a game board? And I think what I need is um almost like multiple sheets so different people will have to have their own sheet. And everyone just it's your own private game that you play. But, <laughs> As in life, right? That fits right in with your yeah. your tip for life. Life is making, choosing your own goals. That's right. That's and right. deciding how to, to reach those goals. What's important to you, not what seems to be important to society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how we get anything done, right? Even just like going to the grocery store. Well, what are you going to do at the grocery store? I'm going to buy some food. Oh, what food are you going to buy? Well, I got a list right here. Or even if you don't have a list in your mind, you know. So that's what retirement planning is. It's just like, well, when are you going to go and stop working? And where will you live? And what kind of income do you want to have? And um, yeah. It's in not a realistic yeah, way. Yeah, I think it's, it's easy not... to be young and say, I'll work forever. Oh, right. Yeah, well, it is. It is easier for the young people to defer it. But let me tell you, young people, you have super superpower, and that is your age. So the faster and earlier you can front load that retirement, the easier it's going to be when you're in your 50s to actually have a really successful retirement. So, yeah, I, yeah. I do that all the time with... Um, and you can have a retirement as long as you have earned income. So even if you're 15 or 16, you can get a retirement account. So you you have to have your parents' name on it because you can't be a minor with a mutual fund. But after that, you, after you turn 18, it can be on your own. But highly recommend it. Yes. Start <laughs> early. Start learning early. Start figuring things out early putting yeah. money aside well thank you so very much you're welcome for joining me it was a pleasure yes thank you <laughs> that's all for this week you can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.